Hey, happy Friday. It's Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, and Shai Davidi. Uh, short week this week, only four-day week. Back to kind of normal-ish. For most people, next week, it really, like, driving in here, Shy. It just it doesn't feel like we're we're back to to normalcy as far as you know rush hour traffic. It's not the same. I don't know if you disagree. No, the, it, it feels light still a little bit. Like pe- people are still just maybe coming out of holiday mode. Yeah, and- I think I think it has something to do with the fact that the kids aren't aren't uh, back in school this week, right? So a it's lot a of people late, took an extra week off. It's a really late holiday break. It just ended up being weird, right? Because normally you have a week going into Christmas and then New Year's hits and it's just a couple days after New Year's and everything restarts. But because my guess, uh, because the because Christmas fell on the weekend, uh, they started the break right afterwards. So it ends up going deep into the new year. Yeah. Um, so for more, uh, for I, I think for most people on Monday, it's kind of like the real, real starting of the of the new year. Not for me, though, because I, I go on vacation with my kids and my, my wife on yep. Sunday to Mexico. You're like, everybody's restarting? All right, now I'm going to peace out for a little bit. Uh, yeah, because that's the cheapest time to travel. But yeah, so, so yeah, the, the good father that I am, I'm uh, keeping my kids out of school for a third straight week um, and then waking them up at 3 in the morning for a 6.15 departure on, on Sunday, which, I mean, there's a, it's a double-edged sword there. What time would they go to bed? leading into that it doesn't matter right like are you ever getting enough sleep if you're waking up at three in the morning unless you're going to sleep i guess at five but- I, I think you're also see trying to see how much how tired you can keep have them when they wake up so that they can sleep on the plane and you can kind of fly in peace yeah that's the ideal scenario right and the, you know you remember when you're a kid um you, you, something like this would keep you up all night with excitement anyways right i don't know if they'd be sleeping normally so well, it depends on certain things like how organized are you are you like a last second packer or do you have everything set and ready to go right now and you guys just have to get in the car so i'm a very organized person but i am a last second packer because um we're going to a warm locale where i will need a, a pair of a, a swimsuit and like a pair of underwear and maybe a pair of pants in case it's a little chilly. Like, do you, I don't, I don't pack heavy for a trip to Mexico. But yeah, I, I'm a, you know what, I am a, I, I'm a guy that, and, and this was brought to my attention that this is a bizarre thing to do in the year 2023. Now, I guess I print off all my travel stuff, like my itinerary and like my boarding passes, where it's it's all digital, right? Like it's all accessible you know, on my you, phone. You know, you can get an app for that, right? No, I, I know, and I do have it, but for some reason, there's something in my brain that tells me that I need physical copies in case, you know, the whole world's internet infrastructure crumbles, in which case, you know, the people behind the the desk would have no recourse with my paper uh, boarding passes and itinerary anyways. But, yeah, that's one of the the weirdo things that I do, which I I didn't realize was weird. That's fair. I can understand wanting to have certain things in front of you. I I just feel better with the tactile experience of, like, having everything with me on paper i get it I, I like certain things on paper i prefer to be mostly paper free but i like things like calendars and schedules itineraries i like having that in, oh do you have a calendar book i i go back and forth on them 
because I, I like to sort of just have, a, I, I'll do like monthly printouts and then I'll have that on my desk of just sort of like what my, where I need to be on a given day. So I have that, if I just want a quick reference, I don't want to have to scan through my phone and then go through all the different dates and all the different times. I want to be able to have it all in one spot and just kind of look at it in, the, in, in one area. Yeah, I, I, I do a digital calendar, but yeah, no, traveling, I got to have my papers and I got my binder. I'm just, yeah, Ooh, I go binder. into, yeah, I go into dad mode. I get everything organized. Yeah. I, it's unnecessary, but uh, that's what I do. It, it, it alleviates some anxiety. You would have maybe been reason. a good accountant or like an <laughs> auditor or something. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, maybe there's still time for, for, <laughs> for that career path. All right, let's get into today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota, your local Toyota store since 1969. Come for the history. Stay for the future. Dufferin North, the Steels. Uh, let's start with the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are not in, in panic mode by any stretch of the imagination, but... They've fallen on hard times here. Losers of three of four, giving up at least five goals in all of those losses. And they haven't looked great. And I, I get it. The Kraken are, are in a playoff spot right now. That's It's not like losing to Arizona twice, which they did this season. But I think we got to start with the goaltending here, which is turning into a real thing. Like Ilya Samsonov is going through it re- like pretty hard. In his last four, he is an 850 save percentage. And Matt Murray who was abominable yesterday, not much better. 853 save percentage over his last three. And to add insult to injuries, getting some Bronx cheers. Um, the Maple Leafs only scored one time in the hockey game. I get it. But shot share is about even. It, it's, it's hard not to point directly at goaltending for this recent slump for this team. Well, the goal that Murray gave up right after the Leafs tied the game, that was... That's a deflating goal, right? It's like, you know, you it's a tight defensive game. You're down one nothing. Power play goal. You tie it up. There's energy, and then was it thirty something seconds later? Yeah. And and it's it's a terrible goal, right? And that's so deflating. You could almost see the life get sucked out of the Leafs right there. And then a couple minutes later, there's McCann with that laser into the corner and. Mm. Former Leaf, Jared McCann. <laughs> Briefly, yes, as a topic that you've uh, brought up a fair bit over the last it's couple like of days. like Mike Napoli, former Blue Jay, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah, like, so uh, the way that I'm looking at this, I always think, like, teams go through stretches and where they're going to look awful and they're go through stretches. Even bad teams will have stretches where they look tremendous, right? So when a team is in one of those stretches, one of those sort of extreme stretches, I was trying to think, is there anything here that is bigger picture, more meaningful? Is there a trend here that is going to play out over the longer term or something that's going to impact this team longer term? And I think the question, the primary question about this team beyond can they win a playoff round coming into the season is do they have enough goaltending is one of Murray or Samsonov going to be capable of carrying the load and backstopping them through this and we're approaching the halfway mark of the season right now and I don't think we have any more definitive an answer on that now than we did beforehand no it's a great point um yeah I I think Leaf fans, and rightly so, feel better about the goaltending situation than they might have even going into this season, considering the track records of both guys. Murray, recently. Sure. Because, yeah, this is a guy that's won a couple of Stanley Cups ages ago. But uh, Samsonov, his entire career, despite the the fact that he's, you know, first a former first-round pick, 
They had built up enough equity, though, in this regular season that they are, despite the fans that were giving old Matt Murray the Bronx cheer, most fans, I think, are giving them a little bit of a break because, sure. you, know, you know, I would make the comparison to, to Bo Bichette. And you, and, and you look back to his 2022 season, like, man, that was wildly inconsistent. Well, no, it wasn't, right? Like, it's pretty in line with what he did in 2021. You look at the end of the season, and you look at the, the, the total numbers, the save percentages that both Samsonov and Murray have put up for the entire season, it's better than you would have hoped for or expected. Um, now, they're trending in the wrong direction, so any a prolonged period of this type of play is going to make that not the case. But at the moment... Yeah, it's okay because they built up that equity earlier on in the season. Now, is this indicative of who they truly are? Is it like an amalgam of the two? Are they just going to be inconsistent players? I think that's still up for discussion. I I think what puts people on high alert is that it's happening to both guys at the same time. And both guys also faded down the stretch last year too, right? Like Samsonov actually had a good start with Washington first 10 games a season ago and then went totally, totally in the tank. Um, and if you could reverse it, like you, if, if, if both guys started off poorly and then were getting stronger by the end of the season and then going into the playoffs or at the peak of their powers, that would be a better recipe. This, this puts people on edge, I think. Sure. And let's walk it back a little bit. Like there are many different ways to get to your points, right. Or to your career totals, your career norms, right. Like you mentioned Bo Bichette, right. And yeah, like. The baseball season offers you a tremendous amount of runway. Mm-hmm. And you can see Bobichet put up most of his numbers in August and September. And there were four months before that you were like, is it going to get there? With, with Samsonov and Murray, the, to me, the dynamic is a little bit different, right? Murray, you're, you're like, is he going to be able to sustain this from a physical perspective yeah, first and foremost it. but at least he's put it on like he has a, a, a some seasons on his a hockey reference page that that are yeah full seasons where sure. he's been above but, average but, real good but it's been a bit since he's carried this much of a workload like almost a half decade and you know if you if you just because you've run marathons in the past doesn't mean that you could take a few years off and suddenly run a marathon again mm-hmm. so you know that that I think is a is a factor in the conversation here, and with Samsonov too, it's who who really are you? Yeah, and I, I think because of that, you're, you're looking at their numbers and saying, okay, well, what here is really sustainable? And they've been, you know, the, the seasons that they've had so far, and the total numbers, and we're talking about save percentages like nine ten ish for both guys both guys for the season now samsonov nine fourteen murray nine thirteen right so, above average uh, right above average and is that maybe a bit more than you might have expected for them from them and is that sustainable is that going to be sustainable on both fronts and so i think you have to give every player the latitude to have a stretch when they're not at their best Obviously, when it's a goaltender, it gets exposed more than if you're a defenseman or a forward. And I don't think that we should be in a rush to judge that. But I just still think we're in a situation where you're asking yourself, is the way that they've played sustainable over the long term? And if you're going into a playoff series, which one of them is going to be your guy? And which one of them do you trust more? I don't know that there is a real answer to that at this point. And after nearly half a season, I feel like you probably would have wanted a bit more of an answer about that. Sure. Uh, I would say that, yeah, 
what what you were hoping for out of the combination of the two is that one of these guys would be at least average, if not slightly above average. But like average to above average with this hockey team, well, well below average got you 115 points a season ago. Sure, right? Like franchise record, they were they were great, 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 and maybe not quite great enough in a seven game series in which they did outscore the Tampa Bay Lightning by one goal. But yada 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 yada. No, that they. they all you needed was average goaltending out of this group. What you haven't gotten over the last week and a half is average goaltending, right? Yeah. And and I know before that you got above average goaltending, uh, at least numbers wise. But you watch the games; it's not like the, you know Matt Murray, Ilya Samsonov were having to make ten bellers all the time. This team was playing great sure. defensive hockey in, in front of them. Yeah, it's so clean it up a little bit. It's also such a strange sport that that one position can impact gains to such a tremendous extent that it's it's really hard to move off of this one area of this hockey team right now well it's kind of like the closer in baseball yeah. right like if your your closer goes into a slump you're noticing that in the end result and mm-hmm. if your goalie goes into a slump you're noticing that in the end result and to me you know we're, we're talking about four games for samson for samsonov where it hasn't gone great and you know a bit less than that for murray yeah like these are really small samples. Like this is yeah. a normal slump for That's players. It. And so I, I don't think that we're seeing a real trend at this point that people should be panicking. But I still think from the bigger perspective, I, I don't know that you're convinced that this is this is the, the goaltending tandem that is going to help you win a series against the Lightning or the Bruins or – is going to be better, is going to out-duel another goaltender for you in the playoffs. Well, and lastly, as we wrap up this this Leafs conversation, it is also strange that, and I will, listen, I throw it out there without context, that the Leafs record with and without Morgan Riley is extremely, extremely different. Um, with Morgan Riley, they're 11-7-6, and six, and without him, they, they played their best hockey of the season. It's just, there's no debate about it. 12-2-1. and one. Now, those are that's the that's just the facts, but there's no context in that. I will give you the context that with Morgan Riley in the lineup, they are still giving up fewer expected goals against per game than they have been during the stretch without him, where the record was good, and it's almost entirely the goaltending that has been the difference. But that's very strange that the goaltending would just all of a sudden decide to be bad when Morgan Riley returns. And there's also like I would say like anecdotally, there's been a couple of times since Morgan Riley's return to this blue line where he's been. You can single him out on a couple of goals that have uh, been the result of odd man rushes where he's made mistakes. Sure. And, you know, let's take a step back. I mean, I don't want us to draw the conclusion from this that clearly Samsonov and Murray hate Riley. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) And that, you know. But it's weird. But it's it's a statistical aberration to me. It's not a meaningful enough sample size. And especially when you look at some of the other peripherals around it, it's nothing there's nothing there that you could point to sustaining that i also think that when a guy returns from an injury mm. it's tough to get into and it, at the at this point of the season too it's tough to jump back in after a significant amount of time out and then suddenly be in mid-season form and compete against guys who are in mid-season form so morgan riley has to be given a little bit of latitude to get back to game speed and i i I think it's unrealistic to expect him to just be the usual morgan riley after missing that much time yeah um he would i'm sure like to play on a hockey team where 
you get above average goaltending, which this team was getting when he was sidelined with the injury. Um, so we've seen it from both guys. We'll, we'll see if we'll see it again in the uh, not-too-distant future. A couple of back-to-backs upcoming starting tomorrow night on Hockey Night in Canada against the Detroit Red Wings. We'll talk to Luke Fox a little later on in the program. And that was today's top story. And it was brought to you by Thornhill Toyota. Elsewhere, uh, we're still really good at hockey in this country. It turns out uh, back-to-back World Junior Gold uh, as Canada avenges their, what was it, 5-2 loss to Chechia in, in the first game of the round robin. Uh, no Michigans attempted yesterday. In fact, no Michigans attempted outside of that that one game where they attempted two and uh, were 0 for 2. Uh, overtime winner for Canada. And weirdly, Connor Bedard held off the, the score sheet entirely, held pointless in that, that hockey game. So he finishes with nine goals and 23 freaking points. Um, it's also weird to see continuous three-on-three, Shy. Because not not that that's ever going to come to the National Hockey League when it comes to the playoffs or anything, but like, um, I'd like to see more three on three, a longer three on three in the regular season before oh, yeah. you get to the shootout. Well, what they did it, what they did in the the previous rounds of the gold medal round was that you get ten, 10 minutes, minutes, right, and right. then before it goes to a shootout, which I'm with you hundred percent, like you're going to get a result there. But it's also weird to see teams with everything on the line, knowing that they're going to play as long as. They have to to resolve the hockey game three on three. Like everybody is terrified to take a shot. It, it is not your usual gong show three on three. Uh, but what I also thought was really interesting was the way both teams shortened their benches. Yeah. Right. Like Canada used only 10 skaters. Uh, it was 12 for the checks. And you're doing a ton of skating with, with all that open ice on and, three and, on three. You know, just I've got the ice times up here for in the overtime and what was it? It was six, uh, six, six and a half minutes, seven minutes of, of overtime. Yeah. But Connor Bedard was on the ice for three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, rightly. Right. So th- you saw both coaches really concentrate the ice time on their key players, which makes sense given the stakes. But you're right. It was a very cautious overtime. And like you don't often see. Guys skate into the zone, skate the puck in, and then skate the puck out when they don't have a good outlet. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to force a play, it was just like, let's make sure we'll maintain the possession, we'll regroup, and we'll try to break down and the that's, defense that's, in another rush. That's the what that's the issue I have with the occasional three on three overtime you see in the NHL where teams are they play it conservatively. Like I, I think once you gain the zone, you can't you can't just pull it back out of the zone. Like that's lame. Or there should be a, a shot clock or something. Why, why is that lame? No, it's, it's lame. Yeah, of course it's smart. Yeah, of course. You should hold on to the puck. Never take a shot. You know what? You just rag the puck for four minutes and 50 seconds no and then take a couple of shots. No the one's ragging the puck for four minutes. Right. Come on. Yeah. I, 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 like, I, like, it's smart. Regroup and then fi- try to find a lane. Try to find a seam that you can attack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once you get the first shot and it, it, there's a big save or, yeah, it bangs off the end boards and goes the other way, Wait. then you get the back and forth stuff. Right. And, and that, it was a well-executed two-on-one to win the game. Very, very well-executed. Tremendous patience by by Wa there to on on that pass across to wait for the check defender to go down and force line the puck over. Really, really clever play. Um, the number is is huge television-wise for that game, as you would have expected it to be. Uh, much bigger than the the summer World Juniors, which we had. Which is it's not surprising, especially considering the number that we saw for Wednesday's game between the U.S. And Canada in the semifinal, which was approaching 4 million, 4.14 million for 
yesterday's gold medal game. But the, it, it, the only reason I bring it up is because I, I've been on record a couple of times this week in saying that my zeal for this tournament certainly had waned considering the, the news cycle around Hockey Canada over the last number of months, if not a year plus. Um, I, I couldn't help but get sucked in. And I, I would say that so much of the credit for that goes to Connor Bedard. I mean, the moment of the tournament still is the overtime winner against Slovakia sure. in, the, in the quarterfinals. And that precedes a very exciting game against your all-time rivals, the United States, having this thing in this country too, um, where it was originally scheduled to be in Russia, but yeah, in, in Moncton and, uh, and Halifax. Yeah, it was... I. I didn't expect to feel this way about the juniors so quickly, but yeah, this is what happens with sports, I suppose. Well, the way that the way that I might look at it, right? It's you can still dislike and feel uncomfortable with Hockey Canada, mm-hmm. but you can still have admiration and respect for what the players, this group of players, is doing, right? And that. You, one of one of the things that I think we were trying to, I guess, sort through with all the uh, all the all the scandal, then all the troubling uh, things we've learned about Hockey Canada over the past few months is, you know, how much is systemic and reflective of everyone, and how much of it is, you know, focused on a group of people, and that it's unfair to ta- to feather everyone with the same brush, right? Mm-hmm. So, well certainly the the players on the ice. Right. And and this group, it, you know, nothing nothing is there tied to this group. This is just a, a current group of teenagers. What you what you worry is that are they removed enough from the elements that led to some of the past behaviors? Uh you know, is that going to be cut off and that there isn't that same sense of perhaps entitlement or belief that they can get away with some of the things that Shy, other players got away with. We're like a couple of months removed from like, you know, full page ads, you know, huge advertisers pulling out of anything sure. associated with Hockey Canada. Guess what 4.14 million viewers for a gold medal game does? Brings everybody back in. I mean, perhaps, right? But I still think that the executive that made the decision and created the slush funds and was was taking uh, was taking money to essentially buy away or, you know, cover up these various sins that had been committed. You know, that is where the conflict is. The conflict has never been about, Mm -hmm. you know, the players who are just playing hard for their country. And we'd hope that those people have now been excommunicated. But yeah, you don't know that. And I I think corporations, before they jump back in, are going to want to make sure like, you know, I know that I can just speak to my experience this the beginning of this hockey season with the hockey association where my kids play mm-hmm. but i have haven't heard anything like this before where parents were just like how much of our money is going to hockey canada yeah like we want to make sure nothing is going to them and we want to make sure and then there was talk of holding off payments and things of this nature like this is something that really resonated with people at a deep level yep. rightly so because the the what was being done was just so troubling and deeply deeply disturbing and contrary to the values that i think the vast majority of canadians hold if not all hopefully all uh that that stuff is that's where the focus is i think of the people right and it's a you have a group of of teenagers 
that is unconnected to that past, you know, how do you separate? I I think people can separate the, the current team from the organization, but I think sponsors before they jump back in are going to want to make sure that they're not buying into something that's going to come back and bite them down the road. So I I don't think that this number just cures everything or this tournament cures everything for Hockey Canada, the organization. But I think it still tells you that the public wants to connect with our national teams. Well, yeah. What I'd like to think is that the public flogging, you know, was... What I'd like to believe is that there was enough punishment here, right? And I guess there never will be. Um, the idea, I, I don't know. I don't know what I want, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. What I kind of liked was that nobody paid attention in the, to this tournament in the summer. This just, it, it feels like we got past the, the news cycle of Hockey Canada being bad and the horrible things that they did and, and, and the cover-ups and the yada, 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 and, and we're beyond it now. You know, I mean, maybe, but you also have to think, like, in the summertime, let's take the, the scandal out of it and mm-hmm. the cover-ups out of it. Like, would people have been as engaged with a tournament in the middle of the summer when there's baseball and all these other things no, going on? No, that's you're, part you're of it. Living outdoor, like, I, no, I, I think that, I think we just learned that that's a hundred percent why people were disengaged with that. I, I I don't I don't know. I I still think that it was a factor in the summer, mm. uh, but I, I I think a significant part of the disinterest in the summer was also that everyone's distracted with other stuff, yeah. and then you're hearing about all this. All these things that Hockey Canada had done and covered up and tried to hide, and it made you disengage all the more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There was nothing oh, and, to and pull if, you, you know in. If, where if where there right was now no... you had Connor Bedard and you had this team playing well, all of that. And, and a good tournament all around, right? Yeah. A well-balanced tournament. You had so many factors that were just pulling you in, a really high level of hockey. Well, that's it. Like, if there was no Connor Bedard and this team was kind of meh, and, like, they fizzled out in the quarterfinals. I guess maybe we'd be having the conversation that there has been a, a carryover effect from people's disinterest with the World Juniors as a result of, you know, their, you know, speaking with their 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 viewing habits as, a, you know, as a means to to vocalize some of the, the, the hang-ups they had about this organization. Sure. Either way, um, Team Canada, again, World Junior champions back-to-back gold medals um before we take the break more great news for damar hamlin like now he's talking tremendous he, yeah he's, he's no longer intubated he's talking he did a zoom call with his teammates um we also now have complete clarity on what the nfl is going to do with the game it's not gonna be played as we anticipated as the ap reported yesterday now the afc championship game will be played at a neutral site if if one of the team's played an uneven number of games and that team could have in theory had the top seed so if it's the chiefs who end up with the top seed in the afc and they're playing either the bengals or the bills in the afc championship game it's likely to be at a neutral site depending on what happens of course this weekend also uh ravens are afc north champions because it doesn't matter if if they are sorry the uh the Bengals are afc north champions doesn't matter if they lose to the ravens despite the fact they will have lost both regular season games with them because they're gonna have a better winning percentage but if those two if the ravens in fact win against the Bengals um this weekend and those two teams meet in the postseason it'll be a coin flip as far as uh who has home field advantage in that playoff game i guess it's fine again there's no perfect in this scenario 
Uh, you're hearing a couple of grumblings out of the, the Bengals players that like there is something actually written in the rule book where winning percentage is the overriding factor in all of this. It's right there, and that part is being changed. Of course, if you beat the Ravens, it's irrelevant, but this is the reality we're, we're going to live in. Yeah, this... It's funny, yesterday when all the really outlandish possibility scenarios were being thrown out there, extra playoff teams and things of that nature, this seems like the path of least resistance, right? Where you minimize the changes and the adaptations. It has the least impact Mm -hmm. on the fewest amount of teams. and It's three. Yeah. Uh, Well, I guess the the four because the Ravens get thrown in there. Right. But... It's not a massive disruption the way that some of the other scenarios could have been. You know, I think, you know, the biggest loss is, you know, one of the teams could potentially lose the right to host an AFC championship game, which is very significant, obviously. But under the circumstances, seems most reasonable and most fair. And might actually benefit the Bills, right? Like, I I know the Bills would love to play in Orchard Park in in January. I I think they'd mostly like the bye, which is the thing that they won't get because um, winning percentage-wise, if everything plays out according to Hoyle, the Chiefs will have the top seed in the AFC. But yeah, the the Bills playing it like, I don't know, at Ford Field in Detroit as opposed to a snowy Highmark Stadium in, in Orchard Park in January might actually benefit... And now not to say that the Chiefs uh, aren't exactly the same type of offense, but yeah, like the, the, the Bills are at their best when, when Josh Allen can, can let it fly. I don't know. I, I still think that that, that hurts, right? Because if you're a team that's going into Buffalo to play the AFC Championship game and it's cold and it's miserable and you're in Buffalo, you aren't exactly like, yeah, awesome. Like you're pumped to play in that game, but you're not like you're not thrilled about where it is. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're going to a neutral site, you're like, oh, all right, this, yeah. this is all right. We, we're going to have more of our people here. We're, our fan base is going to be a bit more neutral, or maybe we'll get more of our own fans here, have an opportunity to get more of our own fans here. You know what? And it, it's a it's a great point about um, yeah. It it might benefit a team that was like I, I would say that weather is a great equalizer, right? Like if you have one team that is supremely talented and one team that's not as talented like you get crappy weather and the 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 high level of offense is probably not attainable like if if say this applied to the bills patriots game that we're gonna see on sunday like that was in a dome i think that would be supremely beneficial to the bills because their offense is way better but yeah it actually you know would would level the playing field there but when we're we're talking about two teams at at a high level because it would only apply to the the bills and chiefs and possibly the bengals uh depending uh, on whether those other two teams lose, then yeah, you're right. It's it's probably not as relevant as I'm making it out. You know, and it, it, look, it sucks for uh, for a team to lose the chance to host an AFC Championship game. Like that's something special for your fans. It's something special for your for your organization, for your club, obviously. Mm-hmm. And sure, like nobody wants to lose that. Mm-hmm. But look, this is uh, trying to make the best of a of a very scary situation and some the situation that is i i think this is pretty unprecedented oh, to, yeah. to go through for to have to adjust the schedule like this under because for these reasons under such circumstances well and it might benefit the bills bills might have lost that game against the Bengals and and been forced to go to arrowhead and and now it's i don't know again yeah. ford field maybe i mean the, look there are a lot of ifs and we can play out the what might have been and 
you know, that happens in every season. And maybe that's a part of what's destined to, to be for this year. But, you know, when you look to me, when you look at the circumstances as they played out, as what the NFL was facing, this to me, really minimizes the footprint of the adaptations and limits the footprint of the impact. You know, like when we were talking about the, you know, the idea of adding an eighth playoff team and yeah. like, you know, that's, no, that's nuts, a, no, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that that's impacting everybody. Yeah. Ultimately, we're, we're talking about venues of playoff games and I guess, yeah, to a lesser extent, buys, which is significant. That's essentially like a playoff win. But yeah, ultimately... We're still talking about the same playoff teams in the playoffs and playing each other, like the- relatively same pathways. Yes, and again, like to I, I'm really in this mindset, maybe still because of the pandemic, but I'm just like, you know, sometimes you just got to make things work for the greater good, yeah. right? And this is not not something to get your back up against. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm cool. I'm chill with it. You're never chill. No, that's true. Uh, And I will continue not to be chill when we talk to uh, Luke Fox, Sportsnet Leafs reporter who joins us next. Also, we're going to talk to uh, Blue Jays manager John Schneider after 6 o'clock. Looking forward to that. Uh, And Sal Capaccio, Bill's sideline reporter later on in the program as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Shai Davidi, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, and Shai Davidi. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, almost as close to being out of the playoffs as they are to leading the division. Uh, They're 11 points back of the Bruins for tops in the Atlantic. The Sabres, 13 points back. They are fourth in the Atlantic division. So, again, you know, locked into seemingly a first-round matchup with the Tampa Bay Lightning, barring some sort of collapse by Boston uh, or something unforeseen. All right, let's talk to Luke Fox, Sportsnet Leafs reporter. How's it going, Luke? It's going pretty well. Happy birthday to your uh, producer there, Austin Mackey. Is it his birthday? Holy cow. (laughs) I've never felt like a bigger jerk than, than you telling me that it's my producer's birthday who we've been working with the entire week. Uh, so thanks for that, Luke. Well, that's that's how he picked up the phone when he said, by the way, it's my birthday. I figured he'd tell everyone if they had him. No, I, I, I think he was clearly trying to set up Ben to, to look like a terrible person. The two thumbs up from behind the glass are confirming that. All right. Well done, Luke. Well done. Nice, Ben. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you got him something. Baked no. him something? No. no. He, he's no. online ordering something right now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well. happy birthday to producer Austin Mackey. He's doing a spectacular, spectacular job this week. There, that was his birthday present. I, I praised him uh, on air, um, as I will do to, to you as well, Luke, despite it not being your birthday. You're really good at your job. All right. Uh, as, as you resume your post as uh, Maple Leafs beef uh, reporter this weekend for a couple of back-to-backs, which means we're going to see two goaltenders, presumably, uh, as the Leafs play consecutive back-to-backs, so uh, there's going to be some sort of timeshare, you would imagine, between Ilya Samsonov and Matt Murray, who have both been bad recently. Um, so th- this obviously, the scenario I'm about to paint is not going to play out in-, in the in the immediate future because of those back-to-backs. But do you think this team would like to have one guy uh, kind of emerge as the number one and get the majority of the playing time, or are they fine with the split through the rest of the season? I think they're fine with the split. 
you know, I think you ideally every team wants to have one guy emerge down the stretch and assert himself. And you're not sitting there on playoff eve wondering who your goalie's going to be. I think by that point they want they want a guy. Uh, but just due to their injury histories, I think they're content going with the tandem. But you're absolutely right. Neither of them is stealing the job right now. Since December 15th, the Leafs have the worst uh, team save percentage in the league. And part of that's probably just coming back down to earth. At one point, I think they were, they were as high as second overall, which, you know, would have blown a lot of our minds if anyone had predicted that the goaltending would be as good as it was through November coming into the season because basically Kyle Dubas took a gamble on two different guys and both were excellent to start. So it was kind of, it's kind of just coming down to earth. We knew that they were going to regress a little bit. Unfortunately, they're both regressing at the same time. And in the last oh, 20 days or so, they've averaged like uh, an 850 something, which means you end up scrambling for overtime wins or you lose a bunch of games like uh, they did the past couple. You know, this team's scoring is down, so they can't outscore you as much as they had in the past. And they had relied on strong defense and goaltending that seemed, you know, really better than expected for a long time. And now it's coming back down to earth. and, And so now they're kind of fumbling their way around after Christmas. Luke, you mentioned regression to the mean, and and certainly there was going to be some of that, like you mentioned. But I'm wondering, from what you've seen over the past month, or the stretch that you were just talking about there, how much of that do you think is, you know, blips that happen over the course of the season, ups and downs, versus how much of there is there a, a trend that is concerning bigger picture as they're going into the second half of the season yeah I I mean I do think some of it's ups and downs like it's an 82 game season no goalie stays hot all the way through and I don't really need to remind Toronto fans of this especially because Jack Campbell had this incredible November last season and so much so that he made it to the all-star game and people were saying we should re-sign this guy and then next thing you know, he gets an injury, has uh, some mental hurdles, and really he was okay in the playoffs. And now you see what's happening to him in Edmonton. And I think that's, that's the concern because there aren't 32 goalies in the league that you can depend on to, to be consistent over the long haul of the season. And from what I've witnessed, the most concerning thing is – Ilya Samsonov is, is talking a lot about his mental game. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he seems to be trying to build himself up much like the way Jack Campbell did through the media, like in our conversations with him. Like, I know I have better. Don't worry. I bounce back. You know, my, my mental game is it, going to get back on track. Um, but he went into the Christmas break really saying, like, I think I need the break. Yeah. I, need time, I need time to mentally reset. And then he came back, and it hasn't been there yet. So that's, that's a little bit concerning. And I think another factor that's at play here is I think the skaters in front of these guys were being extra diligent defensively um, in the absence of, you know, Morgan Riley and TJ Brody for a stretch. Jake Muzzin's been gone. I think that got the room's attention. They realized that some of their most dependable and minutes 
munching defensemen were out of the lineup. So everyone, it was kind of all hands on deck, really playing strong defensively. And that slipped a little bit as well. And then when the goalie can't come up with the save, when you give a breakaway or a, a three on two, um, you know, these problems start to c- compound a little bit. Yeah, no, it's it's a staggering record this Leafs team has with and without Morgan Riley, right? They're, they're 11, 7, and 6 with him in the lineup, 12, 2, and 1 without him. And I, I'm sure a lot of it, uh, or, yeah, there's a portion of it that is what you're talking about, that it's a different style of play when you have your de facto number one, well, clearly your number one defenseman back in the lineup. You're, you're maybe not as uh, attention to detail oriented, but it, it also has, like, there's... You just look at the save percentages over the span with Morgan Riley and without, and it's hard not to point to that to that stat as being the the number one overriding factor in in the the discrepancy between the two records. What do you make of the fact that this is a totally different team with and without Morgan Riley this season? Yeah, it's a bit of a head scratcher, right? Like you're not supposed to lose your top paid, top playing defenseman, the guy who you know in most situations runs the power play and. Uh, leads the rush and is your first man up, uh, you know, last minute of the games, all those things. You're not supposed to lose that guy and uh, be better without him. But it's it's kind of funny, like you said. Now, I think some of it is he missed so many weeks. Um, and when he made his return in Arizona, he admitted to us that he was a little bit nervous about coming back. I, I think, you know, it's got to play with you mentally, the, the fact that, that you're out and you're, the team takes off without you and does phenomenal. So I think there's a bit of him putting pressure on himself. I think there's concern about the knee injury, which is a brand-new injury. He said something he's never dealt with before. So I, I think a lot of people can relate to the fact that when you're back doing um, athletics at, and you've just come back from an injury that took you out weeks, something you never dealt with, um, it's hard for that not to be in, your, in the back of your mind while you're playing. So I think there's that element as well. And then I think just the, the pairs. The pairs seem to line up a little bit better um, for some reason. Like the fit was a little bit more seamless when he wasn't there. And, uh, you know, you don't want to say that over the long term the team's better off without Morgan Riley. But I just think, you know, over this short sample, as he gets back into a groove, it just has happened to align with the goalies playing poorly, which is why we're talking about it. Um, and you'd like to think oh, over the next course of the next few weeks, he'll find his groove and, and things will sort itself out a little bit better. Luke, what's your sense of the five forward power play and the longevity of it? Because obviously this, you know, Morgan Riley has been a big part of this power play for a while. And now, you know, they're running with this while Morgan Riley's trying to figure out all these other elements as he's working himself back into the, you know, that elite game rhythm. And, you know, do you think that there's a comfort with sort of hunting on a on a second unit of the power play to sort of, you know, making it like let's let's go all out for, you know, 75 to 90 seconds of a power play as opposed to worrying about having a second unit that can be dangerous as well? Yeah, that seems to be the Leafs' MO, and it's kind of a trend around the league, especially the teams that have a whole bunch of uh, elite talent up front. You know, you pay four guys, 40% of your salary or whatever it is, they're all going to be want, want to be on PP1, and they're not going to want to you know, come off after a minute. That's just kind of the way the roster is structured. 
But the five forward power play, to me, is really interesting. You know, we've seen them recently give up a shorthanded goal. Mitch Marner scrambling back, trying to play the role of defenseman. But we've also seen them convert, like Michael Bunting get on the board. And, you know, if he's not, you know, he, he's the new guy there. He's the guy coming in for the defenseman that came off. So maybe they don't score. It's a fascinating experiment that Sheldon Keefe is doing. And I think it's the right time of year to do it. You know, like like you mentioned off the top, Ben, these, this team's kind of entrenched. Yep. They're, they're either going to finish second or third. Boston seems like a long shot. So this is the time of the year that maybe you should try some new things. Uh, you know, if you think back to the last couple of playoff series this team's been involved in, the power play has failed them. Yeah. So I think this might be kind of a long-term play. Let's see if we have another luck we can throw at teams if our power play struggles in the postseason like it has in the past. Do I think they're going to go with five forwards game one against Tampa or whoever it is? No. I think they'll probably revert to the safer thing and have Riley there. But if it starts to struggle, at least they know that this is a, an option that they've worked on and is familiar with the, the players uh, involved. Luke, I uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Uh, happy New Year. As well, I suppose. First week after New Year's, you can say that. Happy New Year's. Yeah, Happy New Year, gents, and congrats to Team Canada. That was a, a heck of a finish last night. Sure was. Thanks, Luke. See ya. Okay. You're well, Luke. Okay, bye. There's Luke Fox, Sportsnet Leafs reporter, alerting us to Austin Mackey's birthday. Uh, <laughs> I'm a great Toronto Maple Leafs insight. No, they, so the experimentation thing is interesting to me, too. Yeah, I? no, I mean, that actually does make a lot of sense, mm-hmm. where it's sort of a consequence-free period of uh, where you can throw some stuff at the wall and not really dramatically impact your situation. Yeah. If, if things go wrong and you can try to figure out whether this might be, uh, you know, a, a tool you can put in your toolbox. Yeah. And, and the schedule is not exactly uh, super difficult upcoming. Yeah. I, I know Detroit's kind of surprised a little bit, but then you got Philly after that. No, those are a couple of teams you should be able to handle Nashville as long as they're not getting 60 saves, which they did yesterday after that. Wild. Yeah. Uh, and then Detroit again. And then you got a big game uh, against uh, Boston uh, next hockey night in Canada on Saturday, January 14th. So this is, yeah, this is a time of year which Maple Leafs have experienced uh, a lot in recent years where the standings aren't the most important thing in the world. Like, sure, is there a, an outside chance that you could catch Boston and then play a wild card team? I guess. It's not likely at all. And then what? You, you get... Sidney Crosby and the Penguins, which would, I guess, be better than the Lightning or the Bruins. But, yeah, I think this is absolutely the time that, one, you experiment with your special teams. Two, you continue to rotate goaltenders even if one of them is clearly outplaying the other, which is not happening right now. They're both playing equally crappy. And three, I think Luke also had a a pretty interesting thought on what's happened to the blue line since Morgan Riley's return, that the pairings, for whatever reason, you know... (laughs) Well, I mean, everybody has to adjust, right? You get used to something, you do it for, you know, whatever it was, mm-hmm. 12, 14, 15, 15 games. I didn't come here to do math. Um, and then all of a sudden now you've got to adjust back and, you know, the, you're playing with someone different, your minutes are different, your role's a little different. You know, that there is a, an adjustment there. It's not, it's not nothing. Yeah, well, and certainly... Mark Giordano was playing a ton of minutes without Morgan Riley out, and he's playing fewer minutes now, although he led all Toronto Maple Leafs defensemen in even strength ice time yesterday, right? It's actually pretty uh, evenly spread 
amongst the six defensemen, which I think is naturally a, a good thing. Because Morgan Riley, I, I keep like it's it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around saying Morgan Riley's the number one defenseman, but he is on this team. Like there's just no debate about it uh, from a, a salary cap perspective, from a usage perspective. He is this team's number one defenseman, but there's no reason that there is a hierarchy of 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 ice time that needs to represent that. Well, I mean, typically you want your guy, your number one guy on the ice yeah, as the, often but, as possible. But the right? strength of this team when he was away was that you, you want the balance. blue line was very balanced. Again, it also, I would think there's also an element of preservation for the long term, right? Like workload management. Like this isn't a team that needs to peak right now. It's a team that needs to peak in April. 100%. I think we're peaking right now. Uh, It's good because uh, Blue Jays manager John Schneider joins us next. As the fan drive time continues, Ben Ennis, Shai Davidi, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.